Hello friends, welcome to the Hillside Church podcast. My name is Brad and I serve Hillside Church as the lead pastor. We're so glad to be able to share God's word with you in this way. God has so much in store for you and for your life. And one of the ways God works in our lives is through the study of his word, like the message you're about to hear. Our prayer for you is that as you share in this message, if it's me preaching or if it's someone else, is that God's word would minister to your heart and life in a most powerful way. Thanks again for being part of our church family. God bless you. If you would like to join me in Scripture, there's actually two places you can go this morning. We're going to be looking at two different uh, parts of Scripture, two different chunks of Scripture this morning. Um, We're going to be first looking at Luke chapter 23, um, and that's where we're going to be for actually the next three weeks. But also this morning, we're going to take a look, we're going to take a detour and and spend a good deal of time in Luke chapter 7. So either one of those places, if you'd like to be where we're going to be at the, at the beginning, you can go to Luke 23. If you'd like to be where we're going to be at the end, you can go to Luke 7. Or if you're feeling particularly ambitious, you could try to do both. Um, but we're going to take, um, as, as we're just a few weeks away from Easter, as Luke talked about, um, for, we're going to spend the next couple of weeks uh, reflecting on what... If, if you're a Christian, if you're a believer, we're going to reflect on what Jesus has already done for us. A reminder of what the Lord has done. Has done. And if you don't yet know Jesus, if, if you're not yet in relationship with Jesus, we're going to look and see in detail what the death and the resurrection of Jesus means for us. Um, on the back resource table, just at the back there, you may be aware of this or, or you may not. I don't know how many of you have spent time looking at the resource table at the back and seeing all of the different things that we have there. And if, if, if you haven't yet done that, it might be a good idea. There's some pretty good stuff back there. I made it all, so I think it's pretty good anyway. Um, but you can go and take a look there. One of the things that's back there is a card that you can take with you, that you can have with you, that you can take some of them with you if you like. Um, but it's, it's a card to help you share Jesus with your friends. That, that you could give to someone or you could, you could use to walk, walk them through how to accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And, and on the back of the card, on the front, there, there's some instructions. And on the back of the card, there's a sample prayer that, that you could pray or that you could lead someone in prayer. And, but what the card will tell you is that accepting Jesus is as easy as A, B, C. And it will talk about what that means. It will say that accepting Jesus is as easy as ABC because we admit, we believe, and we confess. And that's going to be our template for the next three weeks going into Easter. We're going to talk about what, when we say we need to admit, what is it that we need to admit? When we say we need to believe, what is it that we say we need to believe? When we confess, what is it that we need to confess? And for those of us who know Jesus, it will be a reminder, it will serve as a reminder of what Jesus has done for us. And for those of us who might not yet know Jesus, it will serve as an introduction to who Jesus is and what he's done for you. Admit, we need to admit that we're sinners and we need God's help. That's the first step to understanding our relationship with Jesus. The first step to coming into a relationship with Jesus is to be able to say, there's something wrong. There's a problem that needs to be solved. Then we need to believe. Believe that Jesus Christ died for you, was buried for you, and, and rose from the dead for you. And lastly, we need to confess. Confess Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. And so what we're going to do is, we're actually going to use Luke 23. 
they're, they're a story from Luke 23 as sort of our, our roadmap, our, um, our, our jumping off point for, for the next three weeks. Um, there's, there's this story that, that we read about in, in Luke 23, where as Jesus hangs, hangs dying on the cross, there are others that are hanging there dying with him. You may not know that. You may be aware, but you may not be, that Jesus wasn't the only one crucified when he was crucified. That there was others that were crucified with him. And, and we read this account in Luke 23 of, of actually the last conversation that Jesus has prior to his death. Now, just before we read the verses, I'll give you a, a little bit of, of context so as we jump into the story. It, it kind of makes some sense for you. Um, but Jesus has, has gone through what they would call and what we can read about the, the trials of the legal system of Jerusalem that, that we know and we understand and as we read through, they're not fair trials. They're not good trials. They're not just trials. But, but he's been passed through the legal system in, in Jerusalem. And he's been sentenced to death by crucifixion. And we're going to talk more about what that means and, and the powerfulness that it was a specifically crucifixion that Jesus was, was sentenced to and, and what that shows us. Because crucifixion is, is the death penalty that Romans saved for the most egregious of crimes. The worst of the worst. That, that sometimes we, we, because we can get so familiar with the story of Jesus on the cross, that we can think sometimes that maybe crucifixion was kind of commonplace in that day. Um, it really wasn't. It wasn't something that everybody got. It wasn't something that happened to everybody. Is It was saved for the worst of the worst. It was a show. It was a thing that the Romans did in order to terrify the general population. And so when somebody was really bad, they, it wasn't like there was, you know, a crucifixion on Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays at 3 and 6 p.m. Is it was at the moments when they needed to, like, terrify the people, they would, they would do this. And so Jesus is sentenced to die by crucifixion as the worst kind of criminal, but yet they couldn't really figure out what law it was that Jesus had broken. Um, see, there, when, when you would be crucified on the cross, in order to make sure that your story got out the way it needed to get out, is they would put a placard above your head. And on that placard, it would give the reason why you were being killed. And so, it, whatever it was that you had done, if you were a murderer, it would say you were a murderer. If you were treason, it would say you had committed treason. Whatever it was that would, would make sure that anybody else who would be so inclined to do what you just did would have to think twice because that's your future. But we read that when Jesus is crucified, all they could figure out to write on his sign was the king of the Jews. Because they don't know what else to put there because even they recognize in some ways he didn't really do anything other than everybody just seems to be mad at him. And it's easier for us to kill him than deal with them. And so where we pick up the story is Jesus been, has been convicted, he's been beaten and tortured, he's been paraded all through the city of, of Jerusalem, through the city streets in front of all of these people. Finally, he makes it to, to the place where he's going to be crucified and he's nailed to the cross. So we can, we can start reading in verse, in verse 32 together, if you like. It says, the two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him 
to be executed. When they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The soldiers also came and mocked him. They offered him him wine vinegar and said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. You know, don't you, save yourself. Save, save yourself and, and us. If you're really Jesus, if you're really the king of the Jews, if you are who you say you are. But the other criminal, and this is where we're going to focus for the next three weeks on. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence. We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve, but this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. As we read through this story, as we see this moment where Jesus shares his last conversation with with people, we see that there's a a criminal who who is probably in a lot of pain, probably not in the best space mentally, and has has decided to take it out on Jesus. But then we see another, another criminal who's in the same place, but has this moment of salvation with Jesus while they're dying on a cross, and the man makes three statements, and these are the three statements we're going to work through. He says, first, we are punished justly for what our deeds deserve. That's, that's him admitting where he's at. That's, that's admit. Then he says, but this man has done nothing wrong. That's, that's his belief in who Jesus is. And then he says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He confesses who Jesus is. And so oh, next week we're going to look at believe, the week after we're going to look at confess, but this week we're going, to, we're going to begin with the first one. We're going to begin with what it means to admit. We need to admit that we're sinners and we need God's help. The, the Bible does make it clear that, that we are sinners in need of grace. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short. Of the glory of God. Romans 5.12 will say. Therefore just as sin entered the world through one man. And death through sin. And in this way death came to all people. Because all sinned. Lastly 1 John 10.10 says. If we claim we have not sinned. We make him out to be a liar. And his word is not in us. And so. If you're self aware enough. It's easy to see. Though for most of us, not nearly as easy to admit, but it can be at least easy to see how problematic and selfish many of my, my actions and words can be, how often I can make my life and my things and the things that I do and the things that I say and the things that I participate in, how often I make it about me and, and what I want and Leave God and his will for me in the dust. How often I know that I've got a choice between what I know is right and what I know is wrong. And my frail human 
humanity pushes me towards what I know is wrong. It shouldn't be hard for, for us to be able to look at our lives and, and say, I'm not, I'm not perfect. That the choices and actions and thoughts that, that make up the sum of my life leave me short of a perfect standard. That, that even if it's a, well, it's hard for me in, in, my, in my pride and in, in my, myself to say, I, I'm wretched, I'm terrible, I'm horrible. At least maybe we can all agree that, that none of us are perfect. And that's the problem is that the only standard that we can live up to is the standard of perfection. And so if we can't be perfect, then we need Jesus. And if you're here today and not yet made the choice to accept Jesus as, as the Lord and Savior of your life, this is where that process begins. By, by beginning to recognize, I, I need Jesus. It's not about guilt or shame. It's, it's not about breaking you down emotionally or, or it's not about somehow trying to, to put weight or guilt on your life and say, look at how bad you are. That's, that's not the message of, of the gospel. But it's about seeing and, and recognizing something in our own lives. And the reason why it's not guilt and shame and weight and condemnation is because, friends, God already knows it's there. It's not for God's sake that we need to recognize that there's... It's not that somehow when we come to God and say, God, I need to confess some things to you, that he's left with his jaw on the floor going, Brad, I had no idea Oh man, you need me. He already knows it's there. It's not somehow that, that we come before him and we need to be like, I can't believe I'm going to have to admit this to God. He has no clue. No, he knows. And so our recognition of God isn't somehow that we need to, to come to God and say, God, you're not going to believe this, but it's my heart and my life having a moment where I say, God, I, I recognize for you today that I can admit there's something wrong with me. See, God knew so well what was going on in my life and in your life that this is why we read about Jesus going to the cross. This, this is why we read about God sent his one and only son to earth to die for the sins of his creation because he already knew. And that's why we accept it. God was not shocked or put off because we're sinners. He knows that and he loves us the same. But we need to know that and we, we need to admit that. But for us who've accepted Jesus as our Lord and Savior. I want to I talk to, to us for a moment. And if this isn't you, there's still some things that you can, can I'm sure, take away from this that, that will be affecting and understanding your life and your journey. But I want to take some time to bring us to another story in the life of Jesus that hopefully will serve as a picture and a, and a reminder for us of how we need to live in light of what God has done for us. That if we say, uh, I have taken this step, I admit that I'm a sinner, I have done that, I've prayed the prayer, 
there's a story that we're going to look at that, that will hopefully ground us in that and show us how we need to live in light of that. And almost as a warning of what can happen to us if, if we don't keep the truth of, of who we were and what Jesus did for us in the forefront of our minds. And this is where I talked about if you wanted to try and, and be really on the ball and you want to go, if you're in Luke chapter 23 and you want to try and get to Luke chapter 7, or if you're already in Luke chapter 7, here's your time to shine. Because um, we're going to read through some verses in Luke chapter 7, starting at verse 36. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. He went to the Pharisee's house and, and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So, he came, or so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. Then she white... Or, or, alabaster jar of perfume. I missed the verse. Um, as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. There's a lot that we could highlight here. There's lots of little pieces of the story that we could pull out. Um, Jesus is having dinner at a Pharisee's house. Um, that, that is perhaps a, a relationship that Jesus had with the Pharisees that you, you may think, oh, I forgot that he was nice to them. That sometimes when we talk about Jesus and the Pharisees, we just camp on, you brood of vipers, you've got it all wrong, you're whitewashed. To... Jesus went for dinner with them too, at their house. You know, we make a big deal of Jesus ate, you know, ate with, the, with the sinners and he ate with the, but he ate with the Pharisees too. Now we're going to see the Jesus-Pharisee relationship returned to, to regress to the mean, return to normal in just a moment. But it is important for us to highlight that even though Jesus, you know, if we want to say he was the most diametrically opposed to the Pharisees and the way they did things, he still went for dinner with them, went to their house for dinner. But what we see is there's this woman who hears about Jesus coming to this dinner and she makes her way into the house. And what we're going to find out in just a moment is she is not welcome there. That, that this is, she, she was not received with honor. She was not welcomed into the house. She was not told, oh, it's so good to see you. Welcome. Come on in. There's a place for you at the table. But what we also find out is that she has some form of relationship with Jesus that is obviously deeply meaningful for her. That just coming to the presence of Jesus, she begins to, to cry. She begins to weep at his feet, wiping her, 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 his feet with her tears and cleaning them with her hair, pouring perfume on them. And we're going to talk more about that in a second. Verse 39 says, Then the Pharisee who had invited him saw this. He said to himself, so internal dialogue, internal monologue, maybe, maybe whispering it to himself, talking to himself. If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him. So even though he's talking to himself, muttering to himself, Jesus knows his heart. And Jesus answers what it is that, that this woman is saying to herself. Simon, the Pharisee's name is Simon. I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii, the other 50. If you don't know what a denarii is, um, it's essentially a day's worth of work's wages. 
So it's about what you would get paid for one day's worth of work. So he says that he owed him 500 denarii. He owed him the amount of money he would make for working for him for 500 days. So it's not nothing. It's pretty big. I don't know how many days a year you work, but that's probably like a good solid two years salary. And that's, that's what he owes. And the other one owes 50. So not quite as much, but still not nothing. You know, 50 days of work is a lot of work. And to owe that. So these, these men owe, owe a good amount of money, a lot. They, they are functionally, at least one of them is probably in a cripplingly large amount of debt. And the other one is well on his way. Neither of them had the money to pay them back, of course. So he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon the Pharisee replied, I suppose the one who, who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Probably a moment of, of self-congratulatoriness to the Pharisee. He probably thought, yeah, Jesus said I got it right. It's because I'm a Pharisee. I know these things. And in front of everybody, he's got to get a little puffed up. Just, you know, I got this one right. Well done me. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You didn't give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. See, as we talk about what it means for us to admit that we were a sinner, that we'd fallen short, that we're not okay without God, we can drift inside of this story from being the woman to being the Pharisee. That we can drift inside of this story that, that we come to this moment where we are the woman, where we come to Jesus with, with hearts that are just wrecked by his mercy and by his grace, by his kindness to us, by everything he's done for us. We can have this moment where we're the woman but if we don't guard our hearts, we can slowly drift towards becoming the Pharisee. Over time, we drift away from the profound difference made and we can settle into two being different and, just, and forget just how different we used to be before Jesus. And, and like the Pharisee, we can begin to see ourselves as above or better than these sinners, who, who let them in here? How did they get in here? I, I mean, I know that I need forgiveness. I know that we need forgiveness, but come on. It's a little much, don't you think? Who let them in here? But the truth is that even in his self-righteousness, the Pharisee saw himself as much more than this woman. His self-righteousness had blinded him to who he was. He was in that same boat right next to her. But he couldn't see it. Because his self-righteousness had caused him 
to see himself already in a different boat. And so were you and I. We were in that boat too. We were that woman. We had been forgiven much. We need not to lose focus and remind ourselves of that. So for us today, for you today, when was the last time we wept over who we were? When was the last time we wept over the sin in our lives? More than that, when was the last time we wept over who we are? When was the last, last time we, we wept in appreciation for what Jesus had done, has done for us? As we've walked through our relationship with Jesus, we may have had a moment where we wept. But I don't know about you, but I can go long periods of time forgetting about the difference Jesus has made. See, as we grow and, and spend time in relationship with Jesus, with the Lord, if, if we're not careful, that same self-righteousness can creep into our lives. Where we go from being the woman who knows I've got no righteousness apart from Jesus to somehow becoming the Pharisee that doesn't quite see it that same way. And our relationship with God can change. Our relationship with, with sin can change. See, maybe as, as the Holy Spirit who, who works in us through, through a process that, that we would call sanctification. It's the process by which God moves in our lives and causes us to become more like him. To put away the things of the past, to put away sin, to put away the, the, the things that, that are of our old selves and moves us through a process towards becoming more like Jesus. And maybe as, as we're working through that process and the Holy Spirit pushes us a little further away from sin and a little further away from sin and as our sinful desires be, start to, to drift into the background a little bit, we don't struggle with the same things anymore. And I look back and I go, I've got victory over that and I've got victory over that. Jesus gave me victory over that. And the list of things that I'm, I'm feeling ashamed about starts to, to shrink a little bit. And suddenly I can find myself a little bit prideful because I'm pretty good. This is what I used to be, but brother, I ain't that no more. Look, look at this. Look at what I, look at all I've been able to do. Yeah, there's some stuff, but hey, I think all in all, God's pretty lucky to have me on the team. I'm a good example. This is good. This is right. Thank you, Jesus. But look at me. And we can look down on the people who are where we were because, hey, I'm not there anymore. Or, or maybe it almost can have the, the opposite effect. Where because we're, we're in relationship with Jesus, and, and I know that I've been forgiven lots, that, well, maybe my sin's not quite as serious as I thought. That I, I know the things that I do, and I know why I do them. 
And so it's not really that bad. I mean, I can quote you verse after verse after verse about all the things that the Bible says about forgiveness and grace, and I stand on those, and I know I need to be better, but, but ultimately the sin in my life, it's not that big of a deal. And, and what I really need is not to be free from sin, but to just have a better understanding of, of, of grace and, and forgiveness. And I don't need to be free. I can continue in sin because I, I've really just been, been forgiven. And so I, I, I believe and I preach grace to myself. Or, or maybe I start to see my relationship with Jesus less, less about who I was and, and more about who Jesus made me into, and it's, it becomes more about me. It becomes more about what I want. That it's less about, look at the difference Jesus made in my life, and more, God, here's a list of demands. Here's a list of things that, that I need in order for me to be happy following you. And so it's not that I, I don't think God's done work in my life, but, but this relationship really needs a little more give and take here. And so let's, let's talk about what I've given. And now, God, what, what can you give, give me? But all of this is to say that the woman, she knows that she's been forgiven much. She was willing to admit, I'm a sinner. And, and I need Jesus. And when Jesus changed her life, she never forgot what it meant. She never forgot what it was to have the need for her Savior and the incredible change that she experienced because of Jesus Christ. She remembered who she was and she saw who she is and she said, Jesus is in town. I got to go say thank you for all that he's done. When we forget who we were, as we approach Easter, we remember the cross, but we can forget why Jesus was there. We can minimize why Jesus was there. We can fall into the trap of thinking Jesus was there for somebody else. But the man on the cross with Jesus says, we are punished justly, for we are getting what our sins deserve. See, that was, that was my story, and that's our story as well. story says we were guilty, but we were made innocent. We were stained, but we were made clean. We were broken, but we were put back together. We deserved death. We were given life. We were sinful, but we were made holy. We need to be people who never lose sight of who we were. Not to live there and not to somehow get, fall into the trap of thinking, it's who I am now. But for me to appreciate and live faithfully to where I am now, I need to remember where I was. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved 
a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, as, as uncomfortable and as, 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 as difficult as it may be, God, we take a moment now to, to reflect and to come before you today to confess. God, I am I'm at a starting point. I'm not perfect. God, my, the sum total of my life apart from you is not... And so God, in light of that, in light of the, the promise that you've given that if we come to you, you will be faithful to forgive us. God, on behalf of myself and on behalf of us gathered here, I, I confess we need you. We are sinners in need of a savior. I thank you for, for those of us gathered here today who have already made the decision to receive you as, as our Savior. God, I thank you that we don't live there anymore. That we are sons and daughters of the living God. That we are made into heirs of the kingdom of heaven. That scripture will tell us that we will spend eternity with you. And God, my soul rejoices. My soul rejoices myself for my brothers and sisters. God, I pray that you would help us to not slide from who knows what you've done to the man who stands accusing because of who he thinks he is. God, would you help us to not minimize our sin, to not somehow... To, to not somehow think we don't need you anymore, to not somehow make my relationship with you about me. But God, I pray that we as sons and daughters would live our lives with hearts bursting with tears, not of guilt, not of shame, not of remorse, but tears of thankfulness, tears of joy, that would say that I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. Here would say, look at the difference Jesus has made in who I am. That we wouldn't allow time or distance to bleed us away from that conviction. God, I thank you for who you are and what you've done in our lives. And we just pray that as we take these days these steps towards Easter and we reflect more and more on you and on the cross and what you've done for us. God, may, may the truth and the reality of what you've done for us become more and more real and more and more affecting of our lives each day, each hour, each minute. Jesus, we love you and we are so thankful for all that you've done for us. In your name we pray. Amen. I've read the words in red. 
Thanks again for being a part of this message from Hillside Church. We pray that God was able to speak to you through what was shared. We're so grateful to be able to share God's word with our church community and family, and that includes you. And we'd love to hear from you. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Hillside Airdrie. You can contact us through email at info at hillsideairdrie.ca, or you can go to hillsideairdrie.ca and click on Contact Us from the main menu, or you can find our pastoral team contact by clicking on Our Pastors from the Our Church drop-down menu. Our vision for everyone that shares in Hillside Church is that they would know God, know His hope, know his purpose, and know his power in their lives. And we pray this message ministered to you. At Hillside Church, we're a family not by blood, but a family that's been bought by blood. As family we go. Stand before you, I'll find